usually with adult um, queer literature, not that it doesn't always end up be because it can, but there's usually a lot of um, broken relationships, like yeah. tension that's very dramatic and just processing a lot of psychological depth. So like, do you feel that upbeatness is kind of a mode in young adult literature? I would say not necessarily. I say everything that I write has a lot of hope in it. And that's what, that's what I focus on. And so looking at things from a queer hope, joy kind of perspective, that's why I, that's, that's just what I like writing. I don't think that has to be every YA book um, by any means. Um, and it also doesn't, I've read plenty of books that I would say are not upbeat that are in the YA, queer YA world. Um, and I think those are important too. Golden, golden as I open my eyes, hold it, focus, hope and take me back to the light. I know you were way too bright for me. I'm hopeless, broken, so you wait for me. Welcome to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm really excited to be joined by Phil Stamper. I'm going to read a little about Phil just so everyone out there, you know who he is. He is the best-selling author of The Gravity of Us and As Far As You'll Take Me. His stories are packed with queer joy and his characters are often too ambitious for their own good. Okay, we're gonna have to dig into that <laughs> meaning. Uh, he was born and raised in a rural village near Dayton, Ohio. I was just talking about his Northeast energy. So maybe we'll <laughs> definitely get into how his uh, yes, upbringing in Ohio, yeah, comes into your narratives. Um, he now lives outside New York City with his husband and their dog. What's your dog's name, Phil? Uh, his name is Gus, he's a Maltese. Aww. Very tiny. Oh, very cute. Okay. Well, I should have asked your husband's name too, but yeah, his name's Jonathan. But that's I. That, people are always more interested in uh, in knowing everything about the dog. In the yeah. dog. Oh, you, you can and... find them both on my Instagram if you if you want to snoop. <laughs> there we go. And um, Golden Boys is what I brought Phil to discuss, along with his whole journey into queer young adult literature. But it's the first um, in a duo. Duology? Is it duology? Yeah, duology. Okay. Yeah, so it's a two-book series, and, um, you know, this first book kind of covers this summer, uh, the summer before their senior year of high school, and then the second book is straight through to graduation, um, and so you kind of get a full two-book story, and, and really it was because I was creating four different characters and putting mm -hmm. them all on the page that I was like, I can't just spend one book with these four POV characters like I need to I need more like I knew I was going to need more so we sold it as a duology because I was like there's going to be more I want to tell like this can't be told in 80,000 words I need double that um so yeah. and I guess it could always be expanded right is that the goal that it could be a trilogy of course of yeah. course anything anything could happen you know I, I'm I will tell you right now there are no plans for it this is also it's it's so hard to write for 
perspectives that I'm actually excited to kind of work on smaller projects and more straightforward projects. Um, but I mean, you know, Golden Voice has been received really well and it was so much fun for me. Um, so I definitely have to say it, like never say never with that. Um, and there's definitely some potential uh, because even though they graduate at the end of it, um, I feel like the early college years and if, you know, you know, that's not a spoiler because some, some don't go to college, some do. So mm -hmm, we'll, mm -hmm. you'll find that out throughout the story, but um, those years do still feel very YA to me. Um, and so I think there's something to be said for the 18, 19 year old cusp of, um, of YA. So I'd be happy to continue the story. Um, I just need some rest before. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. And also I follow Phil so much on Instagram and I would be amiss without mentioning you also published a book called Small Town Pride. Is that correct? I did. I did. Yeah. It's my uh, middle grade debut. Uh, it's about a kid from rural Ohio, um, from a village in rural Ohio, uh, even though it's called Small Town Pride. Uh, technically, he lives in a village um, and he ultimately throws his small town's very first pride festival. And so it's... Um, Obviously, there are a lot of challenges of living in small towns, but my kind of theory or my theme for this book was that, you know, there are so many queer people who don't want to have to leave their hometowns to go to the big city to, to find themselves. Like some people want to just stay at where they're at and they just mm -hmm. want their community to be more accepting. So how do you carve out that acceptance? Um, and so that's, uh, yeah, that's small town pride. That was so much fun to write as well, just because I had never done middle grade before. So well, yeah, and let's go there. Cause I'm always curious, what is the difference mm -hmm. really between middle grade and young adult? Yeah, so middle grade, um, I mean, just strictly speaking, the age range, um, eight to 12 is usually middle grade. Um, and so you can, there's a there's actually a big range in, um, I, I wanna say maturity level, but like, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but like mm -hmm. when you're eight, and when you're 12, they're very different experiences. So it's actually, it captures, quite a weird time for all of us because I feel like we're just starting to become ourselves when we're eight to 12. Um, and then YA is uh, usually 13 plus, usually 14 plus. And then there, it kind of gets murky in the middle of those two age ranges. So other than just the, um, the obvious ages of the characters, the themes are usually a little bit different because you have to think of um, when you're eight years old or when you know, in this in small town pride, he's 12 years old where does he get his information or his thoughts on the world? Usually that's filtered down from your family or from your school or from people who are around you, less so the opinions of kind of the whole world. However, when you're in the YA range, it's kind of like you're breaking out of your shell. Like you're out, like you're, you have access to so much more information. You have so much more independence. And so you get to really like, that's why they call those coming of age stories because you really get to come of age during that time in a way that you don't get to in middle grade. So it's just little tonal shifts. And um, of course, voice is different. Relationships with parents are different um, for every age group. Um, and so that was kind of fun because I have always stuck in the upper YA range. So to scale back to the upper middle grade range um, was just, um, it was refreshing. Yeah, and do you have to be cautious about explicitness i'm assuming just oh, yeah. because like we've had here and i'm sure you've seen like a lot of queer young adult authors but also a mm -hmm. lot of queer adult authors and like i even got into a whole conversation with lev rosen about like how camp like there's an element of it that could co go into adult literature but like why absolutely you know how yeah. you go through that process yeah i mean i think why it really does get 
murky and that that's really just like people's you know I, I would say that like I I always tend to fade to black like that you know mine I never get too far into sexual scenarios and that's just like my writing style like that's mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of romance on the page but um usually I shy away from that but Lev is someone who will go full tilt into it and it's such a realistic description of like that feeling of being a teenager and um, experiencing these things for the first time and so there are just kind of two ways of looking at it however when it comes to middle grade like e e no longer are you trying to sell it to the teens themselves you're really trying to sell it to their parents to librarians to school teachers mm -hmm. to uh booksellers so that they have it on their shelves and every single one of those people is a gatekeeper so you true and also like I, i'm not going to say the f word you know in the middle grade book like i just I know that that's like, that's not where it doesn't, you know, it, it can't be labeled eight to 12 years old reading level if you're going to be dropping F-bombs in there. Um, so explicitness, as far as language goes, it's, um, there's really, there can't be anything there. But, you know, when the, the, the most that happens in small town pride is there's some handholding and there's some obvious questioning, like things that I dealt with when I was in middle school. Um, of course, like, well, I, I was, I was getting zero kisses in middle school, but I'm sure other cooler middle schoolers did. Um, and so that's that, that's realistic too as well. But um, yeah, so it's just learning what age range you're writing for and what is required, especially when you're in traditional publishing. I'm sure it's different if you are an independent or if you're uh, publishing it on your own, mm -hmm. um, but there are rules kind of, and some of them are unspoken and some of them are spoken, but you know, you can't curse in middle grade, that's for sure. YA, you get a whole lot of flexibility because, you know, teens do have these experiences and they're the ones buying the books often. Yeah, and it's really interesting, like you're mentioning cursing, but even it seems like there is usually, like, especially in Golden Boys, like you've talked already about the point of views of mm -hmm. the different um, characters and their relationships um, and their click in a way that they create this like queer male safe haven um, of sorts. But there's a lot of upbeatness, like where usually with adult um, queer literature, not that it doesn't always end upbeat because it can, but there's usually a lot of um, broken relationships, like yep. tension that's very dramatic and just processing a lot of psychological depth so like do you feel that upbeatness is kind of a mode in young adult literature i would say not necessarily i say everything that i write has a lot of hope in it and that's where that's what i focus on and so looking at things from a queer hope joy kind of perspective that's why i that's that's just what I like writing. I don't think that has to be every YA book um, by any means. Um, and it also doesn't, I've read plenty of books that I would say are not upbeat that are in the YA, queer YA world. Um, and I think those are important too. Um, I think you see it more often in YA literature for it to be a little bit more hopeful because it's, those, that's what those stories are about. They're kind of um, aspirational for teens, especially teens who aren't experiencing these things or don't feel comfortable with their queerness or are still figuring it out it's really helpful for them to be able to read a book and kind of experience it safely through the views of, you know, whatever the character is doing. Um, and that goes for positive and negative too, honestly, like you can have negative experiences and go through process trauma um, through a character. And that's what I did a lot with As Far As You'll Take Me, my second book. Um, it's a little bit heavier, 
it's still very hopeful, but it's a little, it's a little more, um, it's a little heavier in theme because he deals with a lot of extreme anxiety, um, kind of uh, disordered eating habits. Um, he, he falls into a lot of traps that I fell into as a teen because I was so kind of ashamed of my own queerness and didn't know how to experience it and didn't know what it meant. You know, I just had, I had, I had problems and religious trauma as well. And so I was able to pack that all into this like really joyful, hopeful book, but you know, it's not, it's not like the gravity of us or golden boys where everything kind of has this like summary filter on it, where it's like, mm -hmm. it's just some boys having fun. Like this one had a little bit more depth to it emotionally. And I just, I liked being able to show different perspectives in my writing. And that's also why I'm just happy I'm not a debut anymore because I have now four books, four completely different perspectives out there. Um, and that helps a lot too, because, you know, we always get kind of compared to whatever work is out there. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be pigeonholed into only, you know, dark and heavy YA or only cheerful, you know, homophobia doesn't exist YA. And so I've been able to bounce around a little bit in what I do, which I enjoy. Yeah. Well, and I think it would be um, if I didn't acknowledge Alex Sanchez's Rainbow Boys, I would be remiss because Golden Boys, I mean, I got to interview Alex and I just remember when I read that um, yeah. trilogy, yeah, um, that it was so, again, the coming of age you mentioned, it has that young adult feature of thinking about coming out and that tension, but eventually they do all come into their authenticity. So mm -hmm. um, I really love that your book is called Golden Boys. I'm not sure if that was like, you were thinking of Alex's Rainbow Boys, but like, you know. No, no, it was, I yeah. mean, that's kind of coincidental. And like, I think titles like that, that are super high concept and, yeah. um, you know, focus on, summer and like you, you like especially for golden boys i'm, I'm saying uh, focus on summer like with the sunglasses cover and the yes, yes, yes. like golden boys yeah, like go. we yeah um so just like, for I people really who enjoy, see the video interview yeah. you can see the sunglasses uh, yeah. yeah so i mean i and also that wasn't even the original title um it was supposed to be the valedictorians because they were all like kind of supposed to be at the top of their class but then we reworked that a little bit because um I'm also published in the UK through Bloomsbury and they don't have valedictorians in the UK. And they were like, we can't have that be the title. Like it could be in the book, but it, you can't have that be the title. And we were like, okay, well, I wasn't super thrilled with the title anyway. So let me go back to the drawing board. But I do, I mean, there, I mean, there are so many parallels to a lot of different YAs in there. And that's why this is kind of, um, you know, that I always, I always compare it to Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, though, oh, yeah. um, honestly, I had never read it or watched the movie before I wrote this book. <laughs> I knew the concept of it, and I really liked the idea of, like, a close-knit friend group, and I was like, but what if they were all queer? Like, what, what mm -hmm. if they're all for, like, queer boys, like, just kind of um, best friends since birth, coming out was not really the theme of the book mm -hmm. what can what what comes next like they're super ambitious they're super um you know they they have a lot of plans some of them don't and feel a little overshadowed by the other boys like what complicated dynamics can i put in there um especially considering they can all date each other if they're queer as well um which is just an added layer of things the sisterhood of the traveling pants they were not all also dating each other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so it does call back to a lot of the classic summer ya's and that's that's what i really try to focus on while writing this is i was like i want a queer version of this yeah and i love that you mentioned that coming out i mean 
right. There was a time, and this is where I know like Alex knows your series. He really loves it. Not like I'm Alex's publicist, but um, you know, he loves seeing what you, Lev Rosen. I mean, there's so many now young adult queer wide array of narrative voices like where the coming out like for rainbow boys that is the journey but that also was the time in the early 2000s right um but i love that you can have a group of you know out boys who are all messaging each other and sharing their journeys and it's almost like a summer there's a summer camp element as a theme um so yeah it has like a very um empowering from the beginning like you're not waiting necessarily for that journey of empowerment right right exactly and and that's um you know obviously i think that there's still plenty of room for more coming out stories and experiences that haven't been told or even that have been told and we just want to hear it again because like i you know i don't mind a coming out story and like i i think the trends have shown that like we had a lot of them at first because you couldn't get published with a gay book unless it was a coming out story. And then it's suddenly mm-hmm. like, oh, well now, then it was like a rejection of it. Like, no, we only want like these kind of, que- it's it's always like publishing decides whatever it wants to think is like the thing uh, when it comes to queer YA. But I've always just kind of written what I wanted. Um, and like the gravity of us that is written you know, it's it's not in, written in a world without homophobia. It's not like homophobia doesn't exist. They acknowledge it. They know that it exists out there. But it's. I also wanted to make sure that like readers could enjoy it without being triggered on the page. You know, you don't get flipped to chapter eight and then suddenly, you know, Cal's reading his social media messages and he's being called the F slur over and over again. Like, I sure I could have added that. He probably is because he's a gay person on social media. Like. I know as a gay person on social media, you can call it everything. Um, so he probably is, but like, I didn't have to show that because that wasn't what this story was about. It was about how are they going to like, he's, how is he going to thrive in this new environment? And it's all about thriving and not really about the, uh, you know, I, I could have made that story about coming out if I wanted to, mm-hmm. but it, for me, it was just more fun to be like, okay, what if they were already out and we can just get them together fast, <laughs> which is. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that you've opened up Pandora's box uh, (laughs) with social media, no, I mean, I'm joking, but um, yes, there's trolling that happens, but I live on Long Island. Actually, I live close to Smithtown, um, that library. I don't know if you saw it in the news, but there was like a board of trustees who are not um, board members, right? or no, no, no. Yeah, they're the board of trustees, but they're not library employees. That's what I mean. Uh, they're okay. elected officials. And um, they had pride displays and the board oh, of trustees yes. voted. Yeah, that's like 15 minutes from where I am. Um, yeah. The board voted um, to like take down all the um, pride displays in the children's section because apparently there were some parents who were upset. But of course, there was so much backlash against that decision that they actually um the board had to rescind that and put the pride display back so i think that power oh, that's also, awesome yeah right and i mean um i think there's right now we know so much challenging of mm-hmm. lgbtq narratives and um with libraries bookstores uh well libraries mostly because of the public element yeah but, um you know, how have you maybe thought about that? Have 
have you had any work that's been challenged? I mean, we're in like a yeah, I know. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, the very first big string of challenges that happened, um, and it was in Texas that the the representative who I won't even name um, sent out a list of like these are these are the bad books out there that talk about you know diversity or gay stuff, and <laughs> that was literally all it was, um, and so. Uh, my first two books were on that list. And because of that, it, they were taken off the shelves at a few libraries and at a few school libraries as well. Um, and also parents in the uh, like places would complain if they saw any of these books on the list because they use that kind of as their Bible um, to be like, these books can't be allowed um, in, in my schools. And it's all, I mean, it's all really frustrating for me because, you know, I, I write these books because I didn't have access to this kind of mm -hmm. literature when I was in school and I know how helpful it would have been. And I receive messages all the time from readers who are saying how helpful it is that they got to read it. Um, and that's great that some people are in that place where they can get it or they can sneak it in if they don't even have parents who are, um, who are accepting. But also like for me, libraries were always a safe space. And to see that kind of desecrated by these bands, um, it's really challenging for me because for me, it's very much like, well, then what's the point? And I know, I know like logically the point is like, you keep pushing, I keep putting gay books out there and then eventually progress gets made because, you know, people are pushing back a lot on yeah. these bands um, across the country and people are actually affecting change now in a way that I don't think was happening at the beginning because I don't think people took it seriously enough at the beginning. However, it's still frustrating and it's demoralizing. And then you're trying to write these happy queer books while you're getting tagged in notifications that a San Antonio news story just featured your book because it got pulled off the shelf. And it's like, great, cool. Let me just not think about that and try to be happy again. Like, you know, it's it's hard to do that. Like, I, I don't I don't think it's any easier to write uh, darker narratives, I guess, um, when you're in a bad place mentally, but I think it's really hard to access that joy that I think is, I, tr I always try to make like a trademark of my books. It's really hard to access that when I see the exact same challenges that I went through as a teenager happening right now all across the world. Yeah, but I think what's really empowering is what you just said. There's so many like, and I'm in the Northeast, but mm -hmm. to see that so many, we want that inclusivity and you have a voice and the like number one on, I don't know if it's a written law, but the American Library Association came out really strong, comes out strongly yes. with any of that type of banning ideology because that's antithetical to a library's mission, which is to have it accessible to right. the public without censoring material. Right. And that's, I mean, it's challenging because there's also the soft censorship, which is when a book, a, a library just chooses not to shelve your book quietly mm -hmm. because they're gay or they they won't stop them or they'll take them off shelves without like it being reported because you know especially when that list got circulated a lot of what was happening was like they were being taken off the shelves but not really reported that way so that like so that they could get not get away with it but I think they just wanted to mitigate any future drama so they were like oh here's a list of things that we should be pulling off the shelves but like that is very much not what libraries are for. It's not your personal opinion. Um, 
like there are plenty of books that I'm sure that I don't agree that should be in library that would yeah. I would like to not be in libraries but they're there because they're showing different viewpoints and whatever um but at least they're you know the, I, I'm not trying to ban anything like that's that's it's really it's really bizarre that this is kind of what it's come to because this it feels I so I grew up in the late 90s early um 2000s and um we were still very much in the Reagan era gay panic um where it was like oh we don't want any we can't have a gay character on TV because that's going to convince uh, straight kids all over America to be gay. And that's what we're seeing now with the word groomer being thrown around literally everywhere online, which like grooming is a real thing. And of course, like I hate when people take real like medical terms or psychological terms and then use it for their own like evil doing. And that's literally all they're doing is they're like, oh, we heard this term once. This is this is good. So they can say like, okay, groomer to every one of your tweets. And it's like, okay, but that's not what's happening. And you know it, you must know. Yeah. Cause there's no logic behind it. Well, like you're saying, grooming is a very specific, yeah. you know, abuse term about usually yes. with sexual abuse. Yes. Um, and I mean, R. Kelly just got sentenced. Like that to me, yes. in my opinion, is like where grooming can enter the conversation. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important, Phil, that you mentioned how at the beginning, because I agree with you, people were just like, oh, no, these are um, just fringe people who don't yes. have power. But then to actually see, oh, they're affecting some policy, trying to affect yes. policy change. Like, that's where we have to pay attention because right. they have a core mission. Yeah, and it's it's and I think that other so now because that has happened, that's opened the door for um, the situations that are happening in Virginia, where the other failed like state representative, or, or I think someone who was trying to be a state representative, but didn't win the primary, I don't know, whatever, yeah. either way he failed. Um, he's now like suing Barnes and Noble and he's suing the publishers of uh, Gender Queer along with the author. Um, and, and like because of a, an obscure obscenity law in Virginia that they're still not even reading properly, like that's still like very clearly it's not in, um, like it's not against, like it's, it, it's, it has no base, but it's still like somebody's doing this for news attention because they know that they can turn this into a, um, a big thing. And then they know if they start doing it, that other states can start doing it if they find similar obscenity laws. And so now it's like literally authors are being sued and that that can literally ruin careers because like you know we we don't make that much money even yes. the most successful of us don't make that much money so to deal with a lawsuit as frivolous as it is like as you know unhinged as it may be still dealing with it you have like it costs money there's like, finance you, yeah you have to get represented yeah, like you can't yeah. you need a lawyer yes yes i know well and i think it's good that you say that because i think the general public sometimes thinks that anyone who publishes a work that might be in Barnes and Noble, they're like, oh, they live a cushy lifestyle. And it's like, yeah. no, I mean, they're maybe they can live the lifestyle of a tenured like high school teacher. Like that's a good, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if you can be a published well, author and live. And as the thing a is author. oftentimes, um, I mean, just to get into the nitty gritty of like finances and details like that oftentimes it's not 
it's not like, oh, okay, you sell one book series or you sell one book and that's the thing that you know makes it. Because even if you get a six-figure deal after taxes, that's $60,000. And then if you spread that out over your free payments over three years, it's like, okay, so 20,000 a year. Um, so it's like, what are you, do, what are you doing with that? Um, not living off of that really, because you have to add to it. And then eventually as you get more books, like, so the gravity of us and as far as you'll take me have earned out on royalties, which means I get royalties, every single copy that you buy in the stores, mm -hmm. I get a, you know, a, we'll say a 50 cents for a dollar. I don't know. It's not, a, it's not a huge amount, but I still get a portion of that. And so these things build up over time. And that's when you can start building a career. But if you're starting to attack newer authors and you're trying to get them removed from lists, like the newer authors, which most queer authors are newer because it's mm -hmm. still relatively new, they're the ones that are the most vulnerable, not the most vulnerable. So, but they're they're exceptionally vulnerable. Um, and so that's when it's a challenge because it's like, okay, well now you're gonna scare someone into not publishing a queer book that someone really needs. Um, and then that ruins their career forever because they chose not to pursue it you know and so it's like yeah. the ripple effect i think they know that there's more of a ripple effect of what they're doing even if these lawsuits don't work even if these laws don't get passed they know that it's it's actually affecting people and they're still they still feel like they're winning um mm -hmm. yeah no but i think um like what you're all saying though and laying out for us here is really powerful that you know, people have a say to embrace that inclusivity. Like there's a lot of support for more of these narratives. And, you know, you're an example, Phil, of like being part of such, just such a multitude of perspectives that you can have in a queer young adult um, literature genre. Like your all of your books are very vast in different perspectives of point of view different characters of the LGBTQ spectrum and like now kind of pivoting into media. Cause I know Phil, not mm. everyone out there might know, but has this, I guess, long career in PR, but had a career in PR um, maybe as your start. And I'm kind of curious like how you process um, your background in public relations which is so heavy on marketing yeah, and messaging with exactly. now being a published writer. Okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was incredibly helpful. So I, so when I graduated, I, so I graduated with a degree in music and um, my, I, I had internship experience in marketing and PR for the local um, theater association um, near my university. And so I liked the idea of it. So like a marketing PR that I was like, maybe that's what I want to do because this was a really awful job market. And, you know, I was kind of desperate for anything. Um, I did end up getting a job in PR and nonprofit PR, um, and I 
that really helped me figure out how to tell a story in a very quick, concise way um, and how to pitch something. Um, and I think authors don't usually come into the careers, their careers with that skill set. Um, but that's the one I think you need the most, um, almost as much as you need the ability to write well, um, you need the ability to pitch your books and to speak about them well. And like, it, it doesn't even have to be like the most like articulate thing in the world. It just has to be, you have to be a good storyteller. And that doesn't just mean within the pages of a book. Um, and so it helped me in that I was able to, like I had, I always had really good queries for agents when I was you know, first looking for an agent. Um, I was really good at capturing the essence of my story and pitching it in a way, because for me, that was the same as a press release I was doing for work. I was just mm -hmm. doing it for my own books and who knows more about my own book than me, the author. Um, so it was really easy to like transition. And then once I, you know, many years later, once I started getting my book deals and started promoting, you know, The Gravity of Us was my debut. Um, once I started doing that, I realized that um, that's when the more marketing side of my brain kicked in. Um, and it was, it just, it, in nonprofit PR, I had to be scrappy. I was PR and marketing all the time. And I was, you know, had zero dollar budgets, but I had to make magic happen. Yeah. And so that felt very similar when I was promoting my own books, uh, because, you know, you don't always get, you know, I, I had a lot of help from Bloomsbury, like they, you know, they did help me in many ways. Um, uh, so I don't want to take any of that for granted, because I know some people get zero marketing dollars, zero ad budget, things like that. And I, you know, I can't affect ads. Like, that's the one thing that I can't do unless yes. I put them on my social media, but that's not going to get sales. Um, but the things that I could do were I worked with a pre-order campaign because I was like, what would be the coolest thing to receive? Because pre-order campaigns were really reaching their peak in, in like 2018, 2019 when I was developing mine. And I was like, I can't stand out. Like, what, what could I do? Um, and then I had the idea to send the book plate to space, like book plates to space, and then send those out as a pre-order incentive. And that was something that I think kind of changed my career forever. And that was just my marketing PR brain thinking what is a cool space related thing that I would love as a reader and it was like something that's been into space and then with that I also got footage of the like the crate with the book plates going up in the um in the uh weather balloon that went up to I think 104 a thousand feet or something like really high you could see the curvature of the earth with the box with my book plate on it um oh, and then cool. it came you know then it pops it comes down to earth uh, with the parachute <laughs> and then they go retrieve it um and so you I got like you know that you see like this kind of a a cool teaching element that like schools were excited about because they'd be like yeah. oh cool like you get to see this was the wind temperature this was the you know this this was the journey how long it took where it went um and so it became a cool educational tool as well as like for me just like nerding out with space stuff like it, it was so simple like because I, all i was doing was mailing pieces of like stickers to people my signed stickers to people that's all it was but i package it in a way that was really appealing and it said like those book plates even say sent into space on this date and like that's because it's it's cool and like i've i photos and video of it too so that's one way that like having a pr brain really helps um other ways also like just in conversations like this knowing what to talk about and that's kind of a you know that's not at public speaking it was never my forte um and if i have to give presentations like i really i really hate doing that because that's not how my brain works but in conversation you know, I always kind of lean back on the fact that like nobody knows more about my books than I do. 
Um, nobody knows more about why I write the books than I, that I do. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, I also practiced a lot. Like I, I opened up um, to blog, to any blogger, it doesn't matter. I was like, if you've never had a post before, I don't care. Um, every blogger can interview me. And I sent them to a Google form that only had um, the option for three questions that they could ask me. That way I set boundaries so that I wasn't answering 80 questions yes. for, you know, for every mm -hmm. single blog out there. Um, but so boundary setting is really important. However, I was like, this is going to be great because even though they're text questions, I'm going to get examples of what I'm going to be asked at panels um, all the time. And so I got to practice really through all that. And that's another tool that I just like was kind of in my arsenal because of my PR career. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a whole, um, it's, it's weird how much we need to rely on kind of public relations, uh, public speaking and marketing uh, and digital marketing, social media um, as an author. But at this point, it seems more important than the actual writing, which I, it's not actually, I'm exaggerating, but like, it feels that way sometimes. Yeah. Well, I always say this with the academic community. Like I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now if I didn't see like bringing these conversations that we need these public scholarly discussions that, you know, bringing the university and the literary arts together. And, mm -hmm. um, I always say you should really see yourself as an entrepreneur or even you have to be your own promoter mm -hmm. and know about branding and like everything you're yeah. saying. I mean, right now I have the golden boys. I have the, uh, signed book. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And that was honestly yeah. like, there's, there was nothing special about that one, but it's just, people started really liking the design yeah. book plates that we did. So it was like, well, that's then now it's a theme. It's like yeah. every period. Yeah, I did campaign. get the sunglasses. Phil oh, had really right. cool oh sunglasses. That's right. Here, wait, I do. I have them right here. He has them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There I you have go. them. If, they're, if, if anyone's watching on video, yeah, no, they see gold. No, they look they good see golden boy on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't see in them. Um, so I'm going to put my real glasses back on. But, there you go. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, so like that was a cool thing. I always try to like make it something cool and fun. And, and my publisher helps me with that as well. And like, I could not do it without them. And, and I mean, I could, but it would cost me a lot more money. Um, but it, the, that's the thing. It's like not all, all authors have access to that. And so I try to be cognizant of that as well. Um, and so I wish every author had a little bit of a marketing budget that they could just like mm -hmm. make these silly little sunglasses that I'm sure did not cost that much in the grand scheme of publishing, but like had an impact because people were excited about them and it got me pre-orders. Yeah, well, and I love seeing when you're signing copies. I see this with so many authors now on social media, like where they go to the local bookstores of every any town yeah. they're on vacation at, and they're just taking pictures. And I mean, do you know who Josh Sabera is? Yeah, I do. Oh. Um, he's, I, yeah, he's, uh, he's so good. He just, I, how does he have this much energy? Like, I, I see him on social media, like, because he, he posts constantly. I yeah, would yeah. say, like. He's a guru. A I mean, he's a marketing I, guru. I'm just like, yeah, I, I just, I see that. And I'm like, I don't have that. I don't have that kind of energy. I couldn't do it. But he's, and he has shirts. He has merch. He has everything. Mm -hmm, he's like mm -hmm. in every bookstore signing yeah, his yeah. stock. Well, and know, he's a Hollywood it. producer too. So he knows, yeah. just like you're saying with your background. And I don't know if you know who Nick DiDomizio is, but um, oh, I don't know. He wrote Burn It All Down. And oh, okay. um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he yeah, worked for uh, Condé Nast. So he oh, yeah. also came, there's actually a lot of authors, I think now who have come from that PR background, but to me, that makes sense is right. doing these 
giveaways and wanting to know your marketing message, right? Because there's some authors who might be nervous, just like, you know, academics who I hear who say that they feel guilty promoting themselves. And I'm like, don't feel guilty. Like, no, 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 yeah. stop. I, like, and that's, I mean, that is that's something that's really bad in, in this industry specifically. And I think that I don't know what it is um, that makes publishing make us feel like our offering to the world is like little and not worth celebrating. And I think it's maybe because we're told no 850,000 times before we get that one yes. And we're so tentative. Everything feels like it's one second from falling through that we can't be too happy about something or we can't be too proud of something. Um, and my friends and I like I have a, have a group chat with um, Ryan Lasala and Clarabel A. Ortega. And we always kind of embody big book energy, not little book energy. And you'll see a lot of people on Twitter um, that will say like, I can't believe my little book is on shelves. And sometimes that's like totally normal. I get it. You you do like, it's something that's that was so little to you for so long and now it's out in the world. However, sometimes it's like, I can't believe my little book is in today. And I was like, no, your book is big. It's in today.com. Like, come on. Like you have to have that. You have to, you have to be like, this is you need to be a little delusional. Like, even if it feels like imposter syndrome, like you have to be delusional. You have to be like, no, this is a big deal. Um, and I'm going to keep acting like it is until I believe it myself. And then yeah. the rest of the world believes it too, because they exactly. will. And it's like, it's good, I think, to realize, oh, I'm a public personality. That to me doesn't mean, I mean, talk about understanding publicity, um, mm -hmm. movie actors, or even I would yeah. say movie actors, mostly, they really know that circuit, but also they're trained. I mean, there's that whole, they PR go through whole media behind training, them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's also yeah. like what questions they can ask or not with interviewers. But that's where I like this flexibility. I mean, just to let you all know, Phil didn't give me any off limit topics. No. But um, <laughs> I think that not that I would ever go into no, some zany universe. Loop um, in my agent to yell at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I do really like, I, it just means so much to hear you have that advice because it's like, no, you're a New York Times bestseller. Celebrate that. I mean, well, that's, that's an amazing yeah. accomplishment. Yeah, I mean that's that. Yeah, I, I, that that's what I always I and I and I understand it because I think we all have that urge to just to to like cave into the little book energy. Um, and 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 I don't I really don't mean any offense to anyone who's tweeted that out because literally yeah. every author has, and that's the thing is like every author has had that moment where it's like I can't believe you know my little book got picked up like by this agency or whatever. Like you're gonna have those moments, and then eventually you have to shift and you have to say no, this is a this is a big book. It's a big deal. Like. I, and that's something that still doesn't come naturally to me all the time, because even though I am very confident and I love my books, um, I will still sometimes like look around, like I'm looking at my desk right now and I have copies of all of my books in, and like also the Spanish edition of The Gravity of Us. And then I have like the UK editions of all my books. And I'm just like, there are like eight covers around me right now. And like two years ago before the pandemic, I didn't have a career. Like I... I had a book that was coming out, that, that's really it. And now I have four books out on the shelves together right now. And then I have two more coming next year. And then who knows what the future holds, but it's it's just more and more and more of like really great things building on top of each other. And if I don't take time to celebrate or to like acknowledge that this is a big effing deal, then then why do it? Why? why? Yeah. Well, and you also attract those other, um, 
public figures, in my opinion, of like even connecting with you. Like it just, the doors continue to open when you acknowledge, oh, these are the talents that I'm bringing. And I do, I would say, I think a lot of, um, especially creative artists mm -hmm. have this, I have a background in theater. I don't see it with those in the theatrical community because you kind of, you have to pitch you have yourself. To, yeah. That's the whole course Well, and line. you also go through training oh, to yes. do that, like to make yourself vulnerable and to like beat it out. You kind of like, that's what's, mm -hmm. what it feels like in that world. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, but, you're uh, fine. But that, um, you know, you really, you're not being narcissistic. I think that's the concern is yeah. like you seem like you might be pathologically narcissistic and it's like no that's a very specific that's you know how, condition that's how you su succeed is by acting this way not to be confused with like the actual condition of narcissism yeah yeah well and i think we're all trying to find our community so like right. if i know oh phil is you know promoting small town pride and oh i'm writing an essay about my suburban community and mm -hmm. i'm it's first pride parade. I might reach out to Phil and be like, Oh, did you know I'm writing about this community? Maybe this could be a joint collaboration of mm -hmm. a talk. And then our agents would get in touch. Right. Like that's a whole, exactly, yeah. that's what networking is. Yeah. And, and, and it's, that's been a challenge of the pandemic too, because so much of authorly life was networking and going to events and supporting your fellow authors. And it's, it's impossible to recapture that energy the networking side of that energy um, on virtual events. And like you do your best, um, but they they do present a big challenge, um, which I, that's a whole different tangent. I don't know if we want to go down, but like that, so that networking is so important, but I don't think that authors always come to the table with these skills. And I don't think I am a natural networker either. Like I, I always feel very, well, I mean, I have a lot of anxiety, but like, I feel very, like, very much like I'm imposing on people if I go say hi. Um, so like, even at conferences, it was challenging for me for a while to, to go and actually like reach out to people and be like, hey, I love your books. Like, oh, so cool to see you here. We follow each other on Twitter. Um, and it's just, just really like, it's, it's taking practice and putting myself like way out of my comfort zone. And like, it feels like I'm kind of like, almost triggering myself, but in a good way, like to like experience these things and to be like, okay, but push through and let's see how you feel. You can go cry at home if, like, if, if it's that bad. You can cry about it later. Like that's what I have to tell myself because if I don't do it there, then I'm just gonna ruminate on it after. And I should, I should have said hi to Holly Black or something like that, but it's like, no, I say hi to Holly Black now. Um, and like that's, yeah. so it's, well, it's just- It's like if Stephen King is in front of you, you should feel free to, you know, yeah. say like, oh my, I remember when I read such and such of exactly. your work. Like, but I think that the majority, they want to hear yeah. what they inspired, right? Okay, Especially maybe not if you're like, world. yeah, maybe not if you're like, you know, uh, in the bathroom or something, right? I mean, there's some value. That, that, also, <laughs> that also happens at book conferences. Um, but yeah, I would say for the most part, that is, uh, it's always well received and like, sure like everyone's a little overwhelmed at conferences and things like that but it's um it's part of the job like you know like i don't know it, going back to in-person events and festivals has been such so rewarding for me way more exhausting than it was before the pandemic because my my brain is just not used to it but it's been so rewarding because you actually get to connect with the people who you've touched with your words like and that's that's something that um 
I don't know, you, I get DMs and I get messages all the time from people and that those mean so much and I'll screenshot like every happy thing that I get that is like, that means something to me and like, so I can just look at them when I'm having a bad day. But seeing that in person and having someone be like, look, you know, this changed my life or, you know, even which like is something that like, who doesn't want to hear that? Like who, and then that's why you need that big book energy is because exactly. if you're out there like, oh, my little baby book did that. It's like, no, like you, you're writing things that are helping people that are entertaining people at the bare minimum. Like, you know, like that's. Yeah. And whether you're point. indulging, right. Golden boys in print form right here, or, you know, I was saying to Phil how much I love the audiobook with again, oh, Michael yeah. Crouch, someone who's been on, so good. Yeah. on the podcast um, that, it's so intimate when you're with a work like that for so long that it just, like you're saying, you're spreading a message out there that's touching people's lives. It's affecting them. Like in a way, it's kind of like when you bring in a television show, like you're binge watching a show. It has that same effect where it doesn't just become, the facade only lasts so long until you feel that there's an imprint of reality. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, came up with that. But um, if you use that, Phil, make sure you credit me. Yeah. No, but like, as we're, you know, wrapping up, I am just really curious. I know that you also, well, actually, you majored in music. Yes. I found music performance. Is that what you did? Uh, so I went back and forth and then just ended up with the Bachelor of Arts in music. Um, so I, I never wanted to perform, but you have any music major you have to perform so much so I was a piano major um and I just kind of I studied music um more yeah. generally but like so I'm assuming that you have some kind of connection between when you're creatively writing and music as that spark that it has like do you listen to music when you're writing do you have a favorite genre uh yeah I mean I usually when I'm writing I um unless it's unless it's an album that I know so well that I could just like completely tune it out like I would say like um what's what's one I always go to um uh like like Miley Cyrus's earlier works that I've listened to like so much that I could they're just or like Taylor Swift too like I, I could just put those on as just background music to me because I'm not listening to lyrics but I would say for the most part I go towards um film scores and uh video game soundtracks um because I like that I can choose the tone and the mood that I'm going for in a specific scene I like getting kind of you know music has always been important to me so it's nice to pull that in and I will say that like Yes, of course, I've always been creative because I was a music major. And then before that, I did a lot of like community theater and things like that, which like we'll never be revisiting those days. Um, it was a little, a little more tra traumatic for me. Uh, I was not made for the stage. However, uh, I never liked writing when I was younger. It wasn't until I started doing PR that I was telling stories and I started really falling in love with the idea of writing for a living. And I was reading so much. Like I've always loved reading. Like that has never changed. But writing was something that it's like, you know, I was like, oh, well, I would love to write a book one day, but who, whoever actually like, sits down and writes a book after they think that. And eventually I just read so many books that I was like, I think I can do that. And then also I was so bored with my day job that I was like, if I start writing, then like writing fun stuff, then I can write this like worse, so, like bad press releases. And I will like feel better about like 
you know, challenging my creative side because at that point I didn't even have a piano to play. So I had no creative energy, like to, I had creative energy, but nowhere to put it. So uh, that's where I really found my love for writing. Yeah. Well, I love knowing that you did have some musical theater. I mean, I don't know if you know the musical Gypsy, but the song You Gotta Get a Gimmick has been stuck in my head because like that's all about our discussion around promotion yeah, and branding. True. And, you know, I know that with the middle grade young adult boundary that you're working with, you might not have porn actors like Josh Severa does with his memoir, Porn Again. Um, but I do, what I love is how... Um, creatively you came up with campaigns and there's such an enjoyment to that right like when you embrace this um i guess instagram persona <laughs> um so everyone out there phil this has been wonderful i feel like we touched yeah. we got the hard-hitting questions we got light-hearted <laughs> moments such a nice blend um yeah for sure yeah and I also really, really want everyone out there to get their hands on Golden Boys. Um, oh, I didn't even ask. So quickly, I'll ask. Just because your cover mm -hmm. is so cinem cinematic. There you go. Uh, um, okay. That every sunglass uh, lens has the different city of the boys yes. and their travels, which I love. Um, is there any optioning happening? If there was, I wouldn't legally be able to tell you. So well, um, that gives we'll, us we'll, a keep, clue. we'll keep it at that. No, that, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. We can't. I I can't say anything. Do not be in trouble, agent. Andrew. He did a good job. Okay. I just I I you know just it's fine. It's let's just look at this. Nothing, just look at the cover. Happened. Just look at a cover for a while. If I have news, I will share it. There we go. When I'm allowed. There we go. Um, but. <laughs> Please get your hands on it, uh, bookshop.org, um, Amazon. Um, you can go to oh. your bookstores. Oh, yeah. And also um, Books of Wonder in New York City. If you search just Books of Wonder, they have signed copies. Um, oh, nice. They have like a ton of signed copies left over. Um, so because they just brought me in to sign a lot. So if you want to sign a oh, copy, go, go to Books of Wonder and you'll see it in their signed uh, copies area, um, along with Small Town Pride, my newest book that just came good, out. Good, good, so. good. Okay, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, thanks. To Books of Wonder. Um, okay, well, thank you, Phil. And to everyone out there, um, if you, you know, have something to say positively to Phil about his work, DM him on Instagram, yes. right? Is it at, it's at stamp, wait. It's S T A M P E P K. Okay. If you just if you you just search Phil Stamper anywhere, you're gonna find me. Um, so just yeah, it's it's a it's it was my screen name in in university back in like 2010. So oh, okay. Um, okay. So I just kept it because it's like the first six letters of my last name and then my first and middle initial, and then I realized that's impossible to t to tell people because. People always just type in the wrong one. So just search Phil Stamper, you'll find me. Good, good. And um, that answers a lot of questions because when I was interviewing Michael and brought up your name, I was like thinking of your Instagram name. So I'm like, Phil Stamp, uh, Stamp yeah, it. That, and then that, I'm like, wait, okay. no, Stamper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay. We cleared that ambiguity up. Um, thank you, Phil. And um, thank you. yeah, this was wonderful. Yeah, this was great. Right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.
Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime in Academia. I'm Andrew Rimby, the Executive Director. Our team includes Mary DePippi, our Chief Contributor, Nicole Arguello, our Marketing Assistant, and Kimberly Dallas, our Editor. Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes come out on Monday, and sometimes I'm joined by a guest co-host. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. And here's Mary. Hello, everyone. I am the host of True Crime and Academia. Do not forget to follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia. And coming soon, there will be a Twitter also at True Crime and Academia. Now, if you're like me, you like to have bonus episodes. I love extra content, don't you? So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Not only do you have access to our video interviews, but you will also be able to access never before seen bonus episodes. So like I said, you can't, we don't release them anywhere else. You can only get those on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber today. And don't forget to listen to ivory tower boiler room on Mondays and true crime and academia on Tuesdays. Thank you.